Well, if you'll uh, open with me to James, we are going to be in James again. We're we're in three, but we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 12, and then we will uh, begin. If you'll stand with me as we read God's word, James 3, verses 1 through 12. Last verse of chapter 2, I'll read that as well. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And now verse 1 of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Small rudder, so large and are driven by strong winds, They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And, and Lord, now as we focus in on your word, I, God, I pray that we would allow your word to do its work in our hearts, to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Lord, to, to help us learn. Lord, to, to see where we need to come in line more with your ways. Lord, to evaluate our speech, whether spoken or written. Lord, but whether to other believers or to our unbelieving friends. God, may our words reflect your wisdom, the wisdom from above that produces a heart of harvest of righteousness. May our words reflect you and, and, and honors you. So Lord, I pray that we would use this, this passage, Lord, to, to do some self-evaluation. And Lord, to also be encouraged to be people who speak good things, blessings, and be used by you to to make a difference in this body, to build each other up, to strengthen each other, to encourage each other, to help each other along in this, this journey, this race we are in together. And Lord, also to be people who reflect 
uh, uh, trans the, your transforming power to a watching world that needs hope, yeah. that, that flings around hard words, harsh words. Lord, may they see the peace and the hope and the gentleness and the joy because of what comes out of our mouths and what it comes out of the words that we write down. God, may you be glorified in, in the little changes we, we will undergo because of what we've heard this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, when uh, Renee and I were engaged, it was back, way back in 1991, she was working as an intern at a church in, in Berkeley, First Press Berkeley. And we were on the phone because uh, we just, I talked all the time. I was in Southern California in seminary. We we're engaged, and I want to talk to my girl. And, and there was something that popped up on the news. There's a fire in the Berkeley Hills. Have you remember that, those of you who are old enough? It was scary. First Press Berkeley is not far from these hills. The mountains, Berkeley's steep mountains, and there's Berkeley, and she's right there down Main Street by the college. And it was pretty scary. She's, she's telling me, she's watching these huge eucalyptus trees, this whole mountainside just going up and houses being devoured. And another friend who worked it is a CHP officer, and he was there trying to help people evacuate. It was crazy. Just, and, and, these, and it started so simply, a little, little, little fire, and it just brought this devastation. And it was scary. I, Renee, you know, get out of there. Get out of Berkeley. Go somewhere else. Because I was afraid for her. It's my girl. And, and then later on we hear, because people in the church, uh, one of them was a missionary, and he had all of his writings, translations, they were totally torched in the fire. So there's devastation that happened. Now, we have our own experiences here, don't we? Right? We, just, uh, we had the Thomas Fire that swept through Fillmore all the way down to Ventura. It got within a half mile of my mother-in-law's house where Renee grew up. She was ready, getting ready to evacuate. Then we had the Camarillo Springs Fire. That's the closest one that I got to me personally. Some of you just went through the Mosley Fire losing, losing homes. You know? So we've had, we've had that experience in this area for sure. Uh, but we hear about how they start. And it just, it just boggles your mind. A campfire gone out of control. A, a celebration of, uh, what do they call it when they revealed the birth, you know, the, the sex of the baby that's about to be born. Little things, and yet such devastating consequences. Well, that's, that's what we see here in this passage. It's one of the images that, that talk about words in our tongue. Words that can utterly destroy in much the same way. And, and actually have longer-term impact. The Camarillo Springs fire was got within a quarter mile of my house. We had to help certain people evacuate. But you know what? They, they came back into their homes, and they, they repaired the damage. And here we are. That was in 2012. Their homes are repaired. They're fine. But it's funny how words stick with you. Renee and I, we're married. Been married almost 30 years. And we're two sinners who love each other dearly, but guess what? We've sinned against each other with words. And I was just telling somebody the other day, you know, I do biblical counseling here, and I just tell them, look, words hurt. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. It's not true at all. I mean, I remember there's one thing she said to me that I can remember. This happened way back in like 2001, that I remember exactly when it happened, where it happened, everything about it. 
We are totally forgiven. I mean, everything's fine with the whole situation. But it's amazing how that little thing stuck in my mind. Words matter. Words matter. We're looking in James as we're starting to narrow in down to the passage. And James really is a book of really, hey, how shall we then live? If Jesus is really God and he came and he died, he rose again. He's the reigning king. We're in the new covenant era. Okay, so what should that look like in his people? How does that look like in real life? What is, what is this new life? Should, what should it look like? And James says we have to live out our faith. Our faith should make a difference in what we say and what we do. Again, I read the very last verse of chapter 2 where it says exactly that. Faith and works have to go together. Not to save you, but it should demonstrate there should be fruit that there's real root of faith. There should be evidence, and it needs to go together. And it's funny, he goes right to words, doesn't he? One of the number one ways that we sin against each other? Fist fights? Words. How many of you are on social media in some way? Right, us older folk, Facebook, right? Instagram, and whatever, the, all the other platforms there are out there. I can't keep up, nor do I want to. But man, talk about... Uh, the abuse of words, right? And the sad thing is, is, you know what I see it from professing Christians. So when I'm talking about the tongue here, it applies to the words we type. It applies to the texts we send. It applies to the emails we quickly send. Okay, so please remember, that's when we're talking about the tongue here, that applies to every form of communication. Because, folks, we need to reflect that our God has taken over our lives, that King Jesus really is King Jesus, and that he's Lord over every part of us, including what we, our, our profile and the things that we say. That's, that has got to be uh, in our thinking as we go through this, this passage. And here, it's really, it starts off as a warning to, to regular people in the church, or who's it to? To the teachers, This is probably one of the earliest letters written, by the way, in the New Testament. It's very Jewish. The early church, it began preaching through Acts. And the early church starts out Jewish. It's there in Jerusalem. And it starts out in Israel, as is appropriate. Right? But so when you see this letter, this letter is written to Jewish Christians. And he uses very Jewish terms, the diaspora. And so it's a letter all about, hey, if you're believing Jesus and he's really king, this is what your life should look like. And he's talking to teachers because the words of teachers make a difference. But I'm going to tell you that this applies to you and me, to everybody in the church. These warnings, these principles are very important for us to see. And this is really, if you want to look at it, it's not a very positive passage in one sense. There's a lot of warning here because we need to hear the warning. We need to hear the, the, the impact Because sometimes, again, with these different media platforms and texting and emails, we can quickly, quickly lose our sanctification. And folks, that that ought not to be in the church. And it ought not to be Christians as we engage with the world in these different platforms. We need to be people who reflect the transforming power of Jesus Christ, who reflect the wisdom from above that reaps a harvest of righteousness that's sown in peace by those who make peace. 
Maybe I'm, I'm on social media more than some of you, but I, I know you've seen it. So I know that you know that we have got to consider that in the church. And then also, too, with our words with each other. Folks, we're in this journey together. We are called to walk with each other as Christians. That so much of the Bible, when you see Y-O-U, you do this. You do, he, it's the, actually in the Greek, it's the plural you. It's y'all. It's written to the church to do together, to help each other, to exhort, to warn, to instruct, to bear one another's burdens. So when we look at this, we, we need to apply this to how we see each other and how we walk with each other. So uh, this is, comes from James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. There's three James, prominent James, but this is the one who's the half-brother of Jesus. And as he writes this, Imagine what might be in the back of his thinking. What kind of words did he have for his brother, Jesus? Jesus, who's God? What were his words that we have in Scripture? It wasn't specifically James. But they were, all, were they all positive before Jesus rose again or died? Imagine what might be in again. No, they mocked him. He mocked his brother. So James, as he's writing this, imagine what might be in the back of his thinking as he's writing this. But here in this thing, he, he is, he's exhorting us to think through our words. And he, but he wants us to grow and mature. It's not just this wagging the finger. There is severe warning, but it's so that this body of believers that he's writing to, us by extension, that we would recognize the impact of our words. Words matter. Words matter. And there's another passage. I'm going to read it because it's, it's, it's important. It kind of fills out this picture. But Ephesians 4, 29 through 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Decaying talk. Destructive talk. But only such as good for building up as fits the occasion appropriately given. That it may give grace to those who hear it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Our, we have to ask ourselves when we look at this passage, when you hear that passage, passages that are familiar to us. Is our speech God honoring and others edifying? Is our speech gospel tainted and Christ oriented? I was a junior high youth pastor back in the day and I broke it down and said, look, you guys, you're either on God's building crew or on Satan's wrecking crew. There's no in-between, right? We're either moving forward or we're moving backwards. So here I, I use in the outline, you see, I say pay attention because these are, he's using strong language, strong imagery. He wants us to pay attention and to take this very seriously, very seriously. So he says to pay attention, there's a stricter judgment. Then he talks about the fire and the consequences of words and how it can be so destructive. And he uses contrast to make us pay attention. So in verses 1 through 2, we see that he, he wants us to pay attention to the, to the call from God to use wise words. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also to bridle his whole body. He's aiming this at those who are wanting to be teachers, certainly. Those who, in this early church, just like the church today, there's people who desire it for the wrong reasons. Power, prestige, status, acclaim. 
He's saying here, hey, you shouldn't want that position for those reasons because there will be a stricter judgment. And, and their words matter. What I say in this pulpit matters. That's why you should be like the Bereans doing what? Doesn't match up with God's word, right? Because words matter. God's word matters. Teachers, he's saying, must use their tongue to share God's truth. But it's so easy to go astray here, whether by word or by example, right? Hypocrisy in the pulpit. Not perfect, but we should be growing and changing as, as the shepherds. But teachers aren't the only ones who are tempted to sin with our words, right? Emotions get involved, and what happens? Oh, there comes that harsh word. Any of you ever? Oh, man. So hard. But that's why we need a passage like this that says, look, pay attention. This is important. Our words matter. Because here's the deal. Words usually leads to deeds, whether by you or by the person you're talking to. During World War II came the saying, loose lips sink ships, but loose lips also wreck lives. You make a statement and there can be consequences, big consequences. So, so that's why where I'm saying these principles apply to each one of us, certainly of pastors and teachers, those teaching, those teaching the kids right now. What we teach is important. But I think the principles apply that a wise person, for instance, needs to heed the warning of accountability, right, for the words we use. And it's not just, there's other passages that say that we will give an account, there's increased accountability for teaching, but there's a, a, accountability for everybody about the words you use. Matthew 18, 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Ouch! There's accountability for what we say and how we lead people. That was Jesus saying it. Again, uh, later, Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. <sighs> Remember, when I say speak, I also mean write. Think through your texts, your emails, those little comments on, on someone else's posting. And by the way, I'm not pointing at you. I'm doing it as much this way. <laughs> Because I, I, I can get going. I have to be careful. We have to be careful. We'll give an account. Verse 2, the, the wise person pays close attention to reining in his words. It says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. We all experience failure in our life, certainly. But the tongue is the easiest way. For us to sin. It's so easy. We don't have to go buy anything. Go, we can just, we sin with our tongue very quickly, very easily. That's why we have, to, we have to know that this is probably one of the most important battles we fight. And by the way, what you say reveals your heart. I call it our tongue rats us out. Our words reveal what's going on. Jesus said that. For out of the treasure of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you say something, it's hurtful. You say, well, I didn't mean that. But who said it? You did. And where did that come from? Pop out there? Or did it start in here? It starts in your heart. Words matter. 
and it reveals what's going on. Now, can we make, do we say things in haste sometimes? And not, yeah, but don't forget, you have to own it. You said it. I said it. I have to say this came from me and I need to confess it and repent it. It, it really, our speech is like our spiritual thermometer. It reveals what's going on. I already talked about that Matthew 7. I'll read that. And, and, and Jesus says in Matthew 7, 20 through 23, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. James is saying, look, if you can control the tongue and rein it in, it demonstrates the work of the Spirit in your life. It's a demonstration. So when you see, and again, you've got to celebrate this too. If you struggle with your words, and you're, you're quick to sin with them, but then you see God helping you start reining this in, what's that the evidence of? Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Self-control. That's a sign of the fruits. So you celebrate that, but that's a, that's a sign that God is working in you. I love this passage from uh, David where he says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's his plea. May that be our plea. May we take this seriously to help. We ask God to help us rein in these words. And he goes on in verses three through five to talk about the potential power of our words. And he uses imagery that's just very, very strong. If we put bits into the mouths of horses, big horses. How many of you have ever ridden a horse? Yeah, I've ridden them and it's, it can be scary. I rode one once and I was bareback out in Brazil when I was a kid and it was scary. But it was funny when it came time to rein in, pulled back on the reins and that bit slowed down this huge, powerful animal. That's the picture here. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are, hu- they are large, they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So our words, whether spoken or written, have disproportionate powers. The picture here. Again, powerful horse, little bit that can control it. Huge ship and a little small rudder. This little piece of flesh in my mouth and part of this body has amazing power, disproportionate power compared to the rest of the body, but it's powerful. Again, I talked about those out-of-control forest fires, just a little spark and boom, in the right conditions, it can get out of control and destroy so quickly. And also, too, notice that there's a, it's the flow of movement, too. It, it's a, a horse is going a direction, a ship is going a direction, and these forest fires, they move. They don't stay in one spot. So there's, there's movement. The picture is that your words move people. It can move people. And the question is, which direction? How are your words helping or hurting people? How are your words being reined in? What's guarding your thinking as you're about to say what you're going to say? Are you doing it so that you get what you want or what's best for them? 
I have so much, there's so many passages. Scripture talks about this so much, the power of our words and the, the importance of restraining what we say. Uh, there's, I, I have too much here, but it's so good. <laughs> Again, I'll read this. Both the bit and the rudder must overcome contrary forces. The bit must overcome the wild nature of the horse and the rudder must fight the winds and the currents that would drive the ship off its course. The human tongue also must overcome contrary forces. The most force that we have to fight are hearts. Our self-oriented, self-loving, wanting hearts. That's a huge force we have to fight when we're about to open our mouths. It must be under the control of a strong hand. The expert horseman keeps the mighty power of his steed under control, and the experienced pilot courageously steers the ship through the storm. May it be that Jesus Christ controls our tongue. So the title of this is Taming the Tongue, but what's the first part of on your outlines? Gospel-infected speech. Folks, the power of the gospel has to come in and we have to submit it to the Lord when we're about to open our mouths. Is it more important that we get our opinions out there? Or is it more important that Jesus be glorified? Right? And then where will these tongues take us? Again, there's direction here. The, the, picture, the imagery is of direction. What do our words reveal about the direction our lives are heading? Whatever our heart is wanting, it comes from... It, what we want is what's going to come out in our speech. It's a heart issue. The horse obeys the will of the rider. The ship follows the course of the pilot. The spark follows the, the, the winds blowing it and the, and the fuel that's available. So what are your words revealing about the direction of your heart in your life? And you guys, when we're listening to this, we are supposed to be evaluating ourselves. We are supposed to. That's what God's word is there. We're supposed to do what Jesus says. Take the log out of your own eye before you look to help others. We're supposed to be asking like David said in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Well, that's what he's doing here. He's making us think about our words. And this is, again, this is, this is uh, talking a lot about what we have to avoid but Ephesians 4, 29 through 30 also is another passage that says, hey, use your words to be a blessing. So I, I, again, can't say everything in one passage or in one, in one sermon. But again, we need to hear the warnings. But then we say, wait, how can I take this little tongue and use it to be in God's hands to be a blessing to others? Amen. Because while your words reveal a direction that you're moving the direction of your life, you can use your words to help somebody in the direction of theirs. Do your words, are they full of anger, sarcasm, criticism, demeaning comments? I, when I was a youth pastor, are you good at ripping on people, making them look bad? I had a youth leader who asked, hey, Chris, I really want to be a better youth leader. He was a lay youth leader. I want to be more effective. And, and you know, what, what could I do? And uh, just, a, just a kid, the, the guy, he was liked by all the students. He had a lot of great, great skills and abilities, but he was also quick-witted. And I said to this, my friend, I said, you know what? If I were a student, I want to be around you. And I would want to hang out with you. You teach well, but you know, here's the deal. I would never open up to you because I would never want to be the butt of your jokes in front of all the kids. 
And, and, I, and I meant that, and I loved him. We were good friends. And I said, your, your sarcasm and your wit, you've got to rein that in. And he, and he did. And he's still there today. This is going back to 1999. He's still there to involved in the youth ministry, being vitally used. But his wit, his wit was a positive, could be so positive, but then there's also the downside, you know. And so he took this to heart. So again, this is, this is dealing with, again, the larger pictures for teachers, but it's for all of us. What are my words doing in my life and revealing my heart? But how am I helping others with these words? Proverbs 18, 21, listen to this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You guys hear that? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we got to pay attention. Verses 6 through 8, now we have to pay attention again. He's going to go through this, the, the potential destruction of our words. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Okay, these are, st- you guys hear this? This is strong. So let's let it speak to us and, and, and be strong to help us think this through. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Someone's phone is going off. Okay, there we go. <laughs> There's power, destructive potential power in the tongue. In, first, in verse 8, it says this, a shocking world of evil in such a small package, verse 6. It's a, it's, it's, there's this all the way through, it's a consuming fire. It talks about the world being set on fire. It, it, it reveals, it comes from a world of unrighteousness. And it can defile the whole body. Again, the imagery he's using, James is using a very rabbinical technique of, of going to the extreme. And we have to let it be there and let it hit us with appropriate force. And, and folks, here's the worst thing you can do right now. Oh, yeah, so-and-so really needs to hear this because, boy, do they have a hard time with their words. Folks, you got to do it. You got to pull it in right here and put the target right on your own chest. He is, he is slamming this home to make a point. James uses really strong language to grab our attention, to say pay attention and pay attention to you, to me, to your own heart. And then he, he really says in verses six, the second part of six through eight, he's saying, what's the source of your words? Is it Gehenna or God? When he says hell here, right? It's, it's set on fire by hell. That's the word Gehenna. It's a picture of, of that dump heap right outside Jerusalem where they'd throw their trash and it was always burning and it was always smelly. It was a picture of gross. There's, there's maggots there and trash. Folks, that's the same imagery from Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome, that word means decaying, corrupt, gross words. It's that stark. What do my words reveal? One of my favorite people in scripture, Barnabas. That wasn't his real name. That was his nickname given to him by the apostles because of the course of this guy's life. What does it Barnabas mean? Son of encouragement. Are you a Barnabas? 
When people think of you and your conversation with them, what is their first thought about the words you use and the role that you have in their life? I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be a Barnabas. I want people, and yes, sometimes it means saying hard things, that Barnabas said some hard things. He and Paul got in a big dispute. They went after each other. It's in there, it's an ax. But, but it's, it's, are you there in someone's life to build them up? Are, when you come here to church, what do your words do? Is it like, hey, what's going on? And you move on. Now, are you destroying that person? Well, no. But are you building them up? You, can, you don't have to say anything. Can you nod? Or You're not. Folks, when you come here, you should be on mission to bless each other with your words. And you have to be careful about what you say if you have a criticism because we can destroy each other with our words. Words matter. Words matter. Do our words defile and destroy? That's the picture here. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, set on fire the the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. Do my words come from Gehenna or do they glorify God? Do, do my words fire up conflict? Again, this really starts getting into social media a lot, or even emails, or even text battles back and forth. What do my words do? Do I stir up conflict? Proverbs 26, 20 through 21 says this, For, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And when there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. You guys hear that? We have to be very careful in, 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 in our interactions. Now, conflicts, do they happen? Yes, they do. But folks, we have to be careful how we respond. I tell people when they're thinking through sending texts or emails and they're fired up emotionally, I say, look, wait till the next day to respond. It's more important to bring glory to God and to be a blessing than it is to win a fight. Our words matter. What we say reflects who Jesus is in our life. And recognize that this even goes, he's using creation here. As an example, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. That's, 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 that's these amazing animals and just to see that we're able to tame them, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Do you get the point he's trying to make here? Folks, every one of us has to be careful. Again, if you go to, he took us to Genesis 1. That's what he did here. But what happened in Genesis 2? Adam named the animals. He used his tongue to demonstrate actually a form of, of, of kingship, of authority. He was acting as God's under rules and naming, naming the animals. And that was part of, that was good. But then there's also bad words that come out. Genesis 3, what, what was it that were harsh or words that were not God-glorifying? Well, one, when Eve listened to Satan, the other counselor, but then three, the second part is when they started responding to God. For instance, Adam, 
Adam, why did you do this? Well, God, it's, it's the woman you gave me. This woman, he's blame shifting. Was that edifying speech? No, edifying would be saying, God, I did it. It was me. I confess and repent. But he blame shifted. Folks, that's, that's, he's putting that on her. How many of you blame shift? Okay, everyone get your hand up. We all do. We have that internal defense lawyer that wants to say, I'm the star of the story. It's their fault or someone else's fault. Or the... We have to come back to this. Do we have words that flow from, a, from God working in us and the gospel influencing us, Christ using us for his glory? Or is it a demonic faith, Gehenna sourced? Do you defile, deceive, and destroy? Or do you build up and bless? What do you want your speech to reflect? Verses 9 through 12, it says that we need to pay attention to the connection between who you belong to and these words that they exalt God, that, they, that they're fitting of who he is. With it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That, that ought not to be so. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Again, he's driving us back to Genesis and to think through people are made in the image of God. When you, as Christians, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the ideas, the principalities, the powers, the arguments raised up against God. But our, we are here on a rescue mission. So people who we might get mad at because they're saying harsh things, folks, our fight is not with them. It's with their ideas, but we have to do it in such a way that we remember, I need to be reaching out to them. I'm supposed to love my, even if it's online or on blogs or whatever platform it is. People are made in the image of God and we want to bless them. We want to bring the gospel to the unsaved. We want to bring hope and reconciliation, correction at times to the saved. And yet, with the same mouth, with these same fingers typing, we can criticize, slander, tear down, curse, demean, make fun of, demonstrating hate towards the person. So he's saying, look, if we belong to God, this tongue should be operating for his glory, for the glory of God. For the good of the people. You're there to bless them. You're there to, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, to think of their needs as more important than yourselves. In humility, wanting to bless them. Use your words to do that. And it's not just, oh, you're such a great guy. I've never met you before, but ah, oh, bless you. Oh, no, you get to know people and you find out how you can bless them specifically with your words. And I, I'm looking forward to Shane and Chaz preaching. They're going to be a little bit nervous, folks. How can you bless them this week as they get ready? Pray for them. How? How can you encourage them? Send them an email. Hey, praying for you. Can't wait to hear. How about a text? How about a quick note? When they come up in the morning on Sunday next week, come up to them and say, we're excited. Wouldn't that be cool? When I was a young pastor starting all this, oh my goodness, I'd have a certain people come up saying, man, we can't wait. I was like, really? <laughs> I'm scared to death. It's like, yeah, no, just go for it. Bring us the word. So you guys can encourage them next week. Here's a, here's a good homework assignment for y'all. How can you encourage these two guys over the next two weeks? Wouldn't that be fun? Do it. Let's use our words to bless, to help. 
produce the delightful things you have been designed for. God used, he's designed us to produce good things. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Have ever you gone up to a, a water source, you're really thirsty, you go and you drink and it tastes terrible and you have to spit it out? Oh yeah. Over the years, I, I, obviously I run hot, so I, I need lots of water. And I've done it before with soccer practice. It's in, in the 90s, you know, high 90s, third stage smog alert. And it's, we've been running for an hour and a half. And, and hey, water break. And you go over, and it's a joke, one of the guys puts in salt water. That happened. I may have done it to others as well. So it turned out it was fair play. But the thing is, you just drink it. You're like, it's terrible. And that's the point here. You, we've been designed to bring forth good things, and yet we produce bad. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, and a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So we are designed to produce good things. Figs. I remember as a kid, I, I didn't know what a fig was, and someone said, hey, eat that piece of fruit. I ate it, and it's like, oh, wow, this is really good. How many of you have ever bitten into a piece of fruit that was rotten? I did once. I, oh, there was a worm in it. Oh, oh, just thinking about it now, sorry. But folks, we are supposed to, we are designed to be people who bless, who bring forth good fruit, who are a blessing to others. There's, there's more, there's more, but I'm going to just, you're getting the point here. Our tongues reveal the worship going on in our hearts, that which is controlling our behavior. So the question is, are my words bitter, critical, harsh, angry, cursing, or destructive? If yes, you have to question the source. He says it, it could be setting on fire and its source is hell, Gehenna. Or is it God? Are my words encouraging, edifying, God-honoring, people-loving? And if yes, that's, that's evidence of a spirit-filled, gospel-infected, Christ-controlling-me kind of life. To the person who speaks praise to God in the worship service and then abuses people verbally at home or at work, James commands, purify your speech through the week. With the person who says, oh, I know how, I, I know I talk too much and laughs it off. James is not amused. And he says, hey, be quick to listen and slow to speak. But by the person who boasts, I always speak my mind no matter who gets hurt. I'm a truth speaker. James isn't impressed. He commands, discipline your speaking. Of the person who says, I know I gossip too much. I just can't help it. James says, control your tongue. Of the person who is in the habit of speaking with insults, ridicule, or sarcasm, James demands, change your speech habits. He expects discipline to be happening in the life of a Christian. That's wisdom. Bringing God's word to what we're actually going to do and playing it out in a way that honors God. And by the way, change can happen. If you struggle with this, change can happen. How do I know that? Because that's the business God is in, changing us and growing us. But we got to participate. We got to obey. We got to be committed to it. And no excuses. No excuses. May the gospel infect our speech. 
demonstrating wisdom from God, producing a, a, a harvest of righteousness in peace by those who make peace. May, may our words impact those around us, believer or unbeliever, for his glory and the kingdom's sake. You guys can commit to that with me? Are you? Let's do it. We're brothers and sisters here. Let's encourage each other to be people who are about blessing. Don't be embarrassed to go up to somebody and say, oh, this sounds so dumb. Just go up there and try to be a blessing. Get to know somebody and find out how you can be a blessing. Use your words. Folks, there's enough going on in the world to tear us down and to cause problems and to make us just full of all sorts of emotions. Folks, the church should be the place where we are about encouraging each other. We walk away from here blessed. Man, I saw George, and boy, he said such the coolest thing to me. Thank you, God. I saw this person, and I got to encourage them, and I saw a smile come on their face. I want that here, Bethany. I do. More and more. A lot of encouragement going on here, but let's get better at it. Let us excel still more. This is a practical fruit of real love, isn't it? Love that wants to build each other up. May it be so? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And, and Lord, even as I, as I preach this, I, I know I fail miserably. I thank you for friends who have called me out when I need it. I thank you for a family that's been so understanding and patient with this old guy over the years. And, uh, but Lord, I thank you for your, your call to, your, your command to us to approach your throne of grace in our time of need, that we might find grace and help in our time of need. Lord, and so we, we know that you want to help us and you're ready to bless us for obedience. And you want to use us both in the church and outside in the community to be people who reflect your glory and see your, and, and to have the light of the gospel shine through us in our speech in a, in a culture that is so angry and so quick to tear down and, and fight, may we be people who have words infected by the gospel because we have got bigger things at stake than to win little arguments. This is about eternity. So God, may our speech just bring you glory, Lord. Thank you. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name as we head out, God, we pray for your glory to be on display. Amen. Amen, amen. amen.